Hey, good morning, everyone. Well, today we're wrapping up our series on faith. And so if you have a Bible um, or uh, a device, let me encourage you to open it to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning, as well as uh, pulling these message notes out from um, the worship folder. You can do that as well. That has the passage that we'll be looking at and some other passages as well and some places to, to write on. We have uh, been learning about faith. And we've been asking God to increase our faith. And we have been praying and asking God to do even seemingly impossible things. And many of us have seen some real breakthroughs. Some of us have seen answers to our prayers, and many of us are continuing to ask God to show up in some great ways. But I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you know the impossible doesn't always happen, does it? Marriages break up despite our prayers and pleas. The promotion doesn't always come. Illnesses often continue. The abuse doesn't always stop. And so what do we do then? Well, I think Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some real insights as we face that aspect of faith too. And so if you want to follow along, Hebrews chapter 12 the first three verses it says therefore therefore because of everything he said in hebrews chapter 11 he says since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses these men and women that we have studied in hebrews 11 these men and godly men and women who by faith acted many of them saw great things happen and many of them suffered at the hands of Things not, of God not showing up in impossible ways, but by faith no matter. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, there's several points in this passage that I want to draw our attention to today, and here's the first one. That life is like a race, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. Have you noticed that? We see that in verse 1, where partway through, the writer of Hebrews says, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Now, I don't know a whole lot about running. 
In fact, if you see me running towards you, you would be wise to turn around and start running too because odds are there's something really scary chasing me. Even when I was younger, running was just the stuff you had to do, you know, to make the team or to get into shape. I, I had a roommate in college who said, well, you know, at some point, the pleasure of running takes over. I never got to that point. <laughs> Our daughter, jo Joanna, has run a few half marathons. And uh, she even convinced her brother, Joel, our son, to run one. And he still says it's the worst thing he ever did. <laughs> in fact, he traces every malady that he currently has back to either running in that marathon or training for that half, that was a half marathon. But uh, I, one of my favorite authors is a lady named Shauna Nequist. And in one of her books, she has a chapter called Run that I think captures a whole lot about running, especially long-distance running. She says this, I've long considered that there are two kinds of people in the world, people who can run marathons and people who can't. And I've long considered myself a permanent member of the latter category. Well, several friends and my brother ran the Chicago Marathon a few years ago, and I finally said out loud, sometime in my life, I'm going to do that. And I decided that in two years, I'd be ready. And so I emailed a bunch of friends, two years from now, how about it? Let's do this. Well, in time, I got an email from my friend Nate. Registration for the upcoming marathon was open, he said. Was I still up for it? And I immediately wrote a reply, no, not this year, next year. And as soon as I wrote it, I knew it would always be my answer, next year. And so I deleted those words and, in, and instead replied, yes, and, and before I could change my mind. Yes, I'm signing up. And I did. And then I dug out my running shoes, shoes that had been to the coffee shop and the farmer's market but had never been running. And I put on those shoes and I shuffled around our neighborhood. It was March, less than seven months till the race. I sent an email to all my friends. Nate was already signed up. And Jennifer and Kirsten and Deidre and Blaine and Margaret signed up too. Training began in April, and over the months, my body got stronger, and the miles got easier. Several members of the group that I trained with and planned to run with dropped out one after another during the summer. A broken bone, an emergency surgery, a pregnancy, and an injured knee. Kirsten, my patron saint of running, was my last hope, but when I talked to her the week of the race, she told me, that a new job and a move and a, straight, a crazy schedule hadn't allowed her to train. She was still flying in from San Francisco as planned, but she wasn't going to run. So I drove to the city alone on Saturday, the day before the race, nervous to the point of tears, not sure who I'd run with, not sure uh, how I'd make it without the drumbeat of my friend's feet on either side of me, at the race the next day. Well, Kirsten met me at the hotel, 
And I don't know if she'd already changed her mind and decided to run since I'd talked to her or that if she just made up her mind and decided to when she saw my panicky eyes. But in any case, she ended up joining me for every step of the race, my guide, my sister, my much-needed partner. The race was all the things that you think it will be, hard and boring, emotional, long, euphoric. The first 13 miles were absolutely fun, as everyone says. Boys Town is the best section of the Chicago Marathon. Costumes and music and choreography and unbelievable people watching. And there were lots of friends along the way in that stretch. Jen's husband, Chris, my friend Jenny and Aaron's cousins. And then at the half marathon turn, Aaron was there with our dear friends John and Christina. A great surprise since I didn't think I'd see them until the finish line. Well, just before the 14-mile mark, my knee and my hip started to hurt so badly that I got scared. My hip had been sore since mile three, and I'd been having trouble with my knee on and off for the last few weeks. So I got a little panicky, but Kirsten told me to take some Advil and give it until mile 16, and she was right. By 16, it was fine. We saw our friends Lepe and Sarah and John and then Aaron and his cousins again, and their faces gave us strength that we needed during this boring, treeless middle stretch. For an October day in Chicago, the weather was crazy hot, and at one point, Kirsten and I decided to speak only in cliches. There's no I in team. If you get to the starting line, you can get to the finish line. One foot in front of the other. Trust your training. Those long miles between 16 and 22 weren't horrible or traumatic, just hard and hot and boring. The miles after the halfway point and before Chinatown are laborious, with no trees, no shade, thinner crowds. I started to get a little emotional about the finish at about mile 18, and Kirsten said, way too early for that, sister. Save it up. The course takes you so far south of the finish line that you can't imagine you're ever going to get back to Grant Park. And so when we finally made the blessed turn at 35th Street, I told Kirsten that I was a little disoriented and kind of angry. And then you hit mile 24, and you realize, we're doing this. We're really going to do this. And you make the turn onto the bridge at Roosevelt, and you hear the announcer saying, you're part of Chicago Marathon history. You're not just a runner, you're a finisher. You're a marathoner. And people were screaming, and Lake Michigan was so impossibly blue. And Kirsten and I both burst into tears and ran the last straightaway as fast as our busted legs could manage. Well, let me, I, I love, I love especially that, free, that part where they're just speaking in cliches to each other. Isn't that great? But let me just call out a few observations to you about running a marathon. One is, it's hard. Not only that, it is long. 
And there are a lot of emotional ups and downs. And there are times when you want to give up and you despair. And I think there's something to be said for the cloud of witnesses along the way, right? You know, it's a good point for a shameless plug about small groups, right? We need people in our lives who are going to be cheering for us, encouraging us to keep going. And the writer of Hebrews says that our lives are a lot like this. They are long. See, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And there will be times of spiritual euphoria where God is so real and your relationship with him is so rich, it's almost like you can just reach out and touch him. And there will be times when you want to give up. Times of discouragement and despair and fatigue and hopelessness. And people will let you down. And people will sin against you. And there'll be disappointment. And seemingly unanswered prayers. And I think Jesus would say to us in those times, just keep running. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other pushing through your disillusionment and despair, continuing to trust in Jesus while sometimes even being angry at him at the same time. Just keep going. You know, I think the heretical teachings of the prosperity gospel has negatively influenced all of us, even those of us who would call it heresy thinking that somehow the key is how strong my faith is. Like I can somehow, if I can just bolster enough faith, I can make something happen. But you see, it isn't the power of my faith, it's the power of the object of my faith, isn't it? It isn't about me convincing God to act, it's about me leaning into him when the act doesn't happen. So that I just keep running. I just keep praying. I just keep depending. You see, a whole lot of the Christian life is remembering that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, and, and that we have to persevere. In fact, did you see that word right there in verse 1? He says, let us run with perseverance. And the key is to just keep running. To just keep trusting in Jesus. Well, not only that, point number two is that we're to look at Jesus' example in verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured a marathon on the way to the cross, didn't he? And how did his prayers, what did his prayers look like during all of that? You know, some people, when they pray, make me a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you. But it's almost as if they're ordering God around. You know, they're demanding things, telling God what he's obligated to do for them. But you know, Jesus didn't pray like that, did he? Remember there in Gethsemane? Instead, he humbled himself under the will and plan of God. Look with me, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 39. It says, going a little further, he, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping and he said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, then may your will be done. You see, Jesus didn't hesitate to ask for the impossible. God, if it's possible, can I skip this whole part? Can this cup be taken away from me? Is there any other way? But then he followed that by surrendering himself to God's plan ahead of his desire. God, it's, it, it's more about your glory than it is about what I want. I don't see the whole picture the way you do, Father. And so your plans ahead of my desires. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, not our circumstances. David didn't focus on the size of the giant, but on the size of his God. And so we focus on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He was able to endure the agony of the cross because he could see what was beyond his suffering and shame, Hebrews 12 tells us. Now, we don't usually get to see that in advance, do we? And so we have to trust. We have to put our faith in him and his plans. They, not, they may not be what I've chosen, or they may be. I don't know. But I know God is good, and I know his plans are going to lead to his glory. And so I remember that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, persevering at times. And I look to Jesus as my example who humbled himself to God's good plan first ahead of his, of his desires. 
And then one more thing, point three, is that I have to guard my heart. We see that in verse three. It says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, if you're a Christian for any length of time, the punches and the blows of this life are going to take its toll on your heart. In fact, whether you're a Christian or not, living in a broken, fallen world means that we all suffer the consequences of sin. Not just for our own sin, but we suffer the consequences of sin at large. All of us do because we live in a world that's broken. And that's why all these things occur. That's why there's heartbreak. That's why there's disappointment. That's why there's hurt and death and sickness. You know, if you're in Christ, we won't experience any of those things in eternity. Those things are the byproduct of sin, and when there isn't sin anymore, we won't experience those. That's why it says in Revelation 21 that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That if we're in Christ... Our future won't hold those things. But in the meantime, we all have to deal with the effects of sin. And every time we take one of those body blows, it has a tendency to bruise our heart against God. I think that's why Solomon advises in Proverbs 4.23 where he says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You see, the tendency is, every time I suffer the consequences of living in a fallen, broken world, something in my heart will mistrust God just a little. Even though sin is to blame... I'm going to be tempted to blame God. And so how, how do we guard our heart? How do we not grow weary and lose heart? Well, I think the answer rests in the voices that we listen to. Starting with our own self-talk. In fact, did you know that there's a conversation running in your head all the time. It's as if there's a 24-7 talk radio show in your head that only has one dedicated listener. So the question is, what's the programming consist of on your talk radio station? Is it self-pity? Is it blame? Is it being a victim? You know, are we constantly reiterating thoughts in our mind of, God, why didn't you do this? Boy, if God really loved me, he could have 
done this. In contrast, Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, we have to trade pity for praise. We have to choose to trust and depend rather than to blame and be angry. It's focusing on God's love for me instead of conjecturing on the plan that I think God should have had instead of what actually happened and why he didn't do this or that. See, there's only one of us in the equation that knows everything, and it's not me, right? And it's surrendering that to God. Now, I'm not talking about something as shallow as just the power of positive thinking or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about having perspective for the sake of our heart. See, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That as those wrong thoughts, as that wrong thinking comes into my mind, I push it away. And I choose instead to focus on God and his love for me that I choose instead to turn and to trust him rather than to be angry against him. I choose to... Now, I'm not talking... Honest emotion comes. Sometimes it takes time to work through that. But as I'm doing that, it's all getting me to the point of trust and dependence and focusing on that instead. And so if you're going to live very long on this earth as a Christ follower you're going to experience pain and hurt and difficulty and grief. Life is harsh. The consequences of the fall. And so we have to remember that life is a marathon. That I'm called to have perseverance, to to continue to put one foot in front of each other to continue to trust Jesus as I did. That I have to keep my eyes on Jesus to follow his example of surrendering to God's plans over my desires. And I have to do that every day. It's not just a one-time decision. I have to continually say, your will, God, ahead of mine. And I have to guard my heart. I have to keep my perspective, not forgetting God's love for me. That often, even though I don't understand it, everything comes from the hand of a good, of a good and loving God. And that when I can't trace his hand, I trust his heart. That God ultimately will make all things right in eternity for those of us who know him as our Savior and Lord. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord?
I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm asking you, have you come to the foot of the cross and personally received what Jesus did on that cross to pay for your sins? Sin that separates you from a holy God that Jesus died to make a way for you to be in right relationship with that God. Have you done that? Have you surrendered yourself to him as your Savior and Lord? Well, maybe, I expect for many of us, we've done that. We're clear on that. But maybe, for some of us, you've allowed some hurt in your life to come between you and God. And then if you were honest you've been spending more time running from God than running towards Him. And if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you just to open yourself up. Maybe the prayer for you this morning isn't, God, I, I surrender. Maybe it's, God, just help me turn around <laughs> and at least take one step back towards you instead of another step away from you. Maybe for some of us, that's what the Holy Spirit would say to you today. Maybe some of us just need to bring our pain and lay it at the foot of the cross. And say, Jesus, I, I, I'm just blinded by my hurt. I'm blinded by this difficulty. I'm blinded by this thing that I'm going through. And as much as I can... I just want to give that over to you. And I surrender that to you. And so I would encourage you, when, in just a minute after we sing a couple of songs, while we're singing a couple of songs, there'll be prayer team people up here on both sides like we generally do on Sunday mornings. While we're singing, if you just, any of those things, if you just want to come, or anything else, you feel the freedom while we're singing to just come to one of those prayer team members and say, help me with this, pray for me. They would love to do that. So let me pray for you and for me. God, meet us where we are. Lord, we're all in different places. Some of us are just in the midst of really hard things. God, some of us are in the midst of just things that we're calling out to you and, and we're just aching. Lord, others of us are just, just in the midst of, of just so thrilled to see you at work in our lives and feeling so close to you and god we're just all over the board but but here's what i know you want to meet us wherever we are and you want to help us lord if we're in the midst of euphoria and excitement now here's what i know life is long and it's harsh and we're going to be there sometime and so help us persevere Help us trust. Help us surrender our will to your will. And help us, Lord, guard our hearts to keep it soft for you. And so speak to us now as we just continue to worship you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.